Welcome to Bridging Gaps, the business podcast sharing the challenges and stories of fellow business owners. Hello and welcome to this episode of Bridging Gaps, the business podcast. This week, I'm joined by Rebecca Trudgett of Switchfoot Accounting and Sam Gold of Gold HR. This was recorded live in a webinar that was held to talk about some of the challenges that many businesses are facing around the coronavirus, around how to furlough their employees, the financial situation. It's a really interesting discussion. There are lots of questions and and lots of advice from both Sam and Rebecca, but please do bear in mind that this advice was correct at the time of the recording. It's a rapidly moving environment at the moment, and by now, this information, if it's specific to any of those schemes, may well be out of date. Good morning and welcome to this morning's webinar where I'm joined by Sam Gold of Gold HR and Rebecca Trudgett of Switchfoot Accounting. And they are going to be talking about well, some of the questions that they've been getting from their clients around how to interpret the, um, the new guidance that keeps coming out from the government um, and just how to help you take your business through this this whole COVID-19 pandemic and to answer the questions around employment and finance. So Sam and Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank Hi, you Deborah. <laughs> How are you guys this morning? It's sunny, which is lovely. And actually I haven't opened emails yet, so it's even better. <laughs> How? <laughs> That's for all. This is because for everybody, you know, Rebecca is the early morning person, hence the fact, you know, she's been up, she's probably thank God knows what. Um, anyway, so for you guys who are attending, I've got a little poll for you. So the first one is just to um, ask, do you have any employees? So you'll see a poll come up over on the right-hand side of your screen, and you can just go ahead and click on to, to answer that. Um, and then the second question that I want to ask you is whether or not you understand the finance question, the finance options that are available to you, just so that we get an idea of who we've got listened, and I can see that there's a mix. We answer them too. Sorry. Can we answer the questions too? (laughs) Can I I click no? (laughs) No, you're not on that. Uh, No, Rebecca. (laughs) You may not. So I think the answers are um, that no, the the understanding of the finance options is um, is not clear to anybody. Though hopefully it is clearer to Rebecca than it is to the rest of us. Um, and a mix of people with employees and without employees, which is great. Now, just a couple of, of housekeeping things. I'm really conscious that some of this might be sensitive and that if you're talking um, about your business, if you're talking about employees, you might not want that information to be you know, kind of assigned back to you. So the chat in here is private today. Only the three of us will be able to see the questions that you put up and we'll be able to then ask um, ask the questions on your behalf. So, so don't worry about suddenly having it broadcast that you know, you've asked the X, Y, Z question. Um, but go ahead and you can just type into the chat any questions that you've got at any point in time. But I'm going to start off by actually asking um, Sam, just if you can maybe, I don't know, just give a little bit of an overview about the types of things, without going into detail on any specifics, but the types of problems and the types of 
I guess, emotions and things that, that your clients are feeling as they're trying to figure out how to work with their employees? I think the biggest thing at the moment, and it's probably the same for all of us, is the uncertainty and the lack of clarity that's out there. Um, the pieces of legislation that have come through for the COVID-19 response has been um, very quick. You'd normally These types of things would normally take between 12 to 18 months in order to get through normal legislative changes. So we've got employers out there who are struggling right now. Um, you know, workload is, is drying up. They don't know what to do with people. They don't really know the options that are available. And the clarity has been quite slow coming out. Um, however, the government have done a great job in putting in place what they have done in the short period of time. But it's actually trying to keep up with things and trying to know what options you've got available has been the challenge for a lot of people. Um, cash flow has been a big thing. I mean, ultimately, people are worried about whether they can pay, you know, pay bills at the end of the month. Can they afford to pay staff? Um, and it's that ability to react quickly and understand what is available to them. And although lots of information has been coming out, I'm sure we've all had the same, that there's not the detail. There isn't the detail there. So some of the stuff we'll talk about today, I'm sure Rebecca is probably the same as me. It's our best understanding of where we are at this particular point in time. We can share. We can share what we know at this point in time, but it's an ever-changing feat. So I think for business owners, for me, I'm finding it's the nervousness about, well, what does this mean to me? What options do I have available? How long is this going to go on for? Um, what, what can I do to help control and mitigate the situation that I'm in? That's great, Sam. Thank you. And Rebecca, presumably there's a mixture of, of you know, people who are clients who you're speaking to who don't necessarily have the employees but also an overlap in terms of you know if I am putting somebody on furlough when am I going to get that money back what if I actually can't afford to you know to pay them because maybe my business is slowed down so are you finding that there's a big um, overlap between the, the problems that your clients are facing and the questions that sounds needing to deal with Oh no, there's a huge there's a huge overlap, and also you then put employment lawyers in there as well, and it, it makes it ridiculously complex. And payroll departments, because mm. how you process a payroll, how some of the payrolls were done on the thirty first of March, I think some of it was made up because they didn't know the answers, and and it will have to be corrected at some point. But you have to get people paid, so you have to kind of go, well, this is our best guess. This is what we've done. And then you move on. But in terms of um, the overlap with HR, well, the biggest problem I've got is people don't understand what being self-employed means because mm. some of the language coming out even from the government and the chancellor was mixing them up. They mix the terms up. Self-employed means you are self-employed. You're not employed by a company or a director of a company. So they're two different schemes. And I think that's where a lot of the confusions come from. Um, we've now got a clearer scheme for the self-employed, but we haven't got a particularly clear scheme of what's happening with directors. Um, but there's confusion about when you're a director, do you have an employment contract? And often you don't because, well, you just don't bother, which you probably should. And Sam will probably tell us off, but you probably don't. And therefore, the, 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 how you're treated is different to someone who is not on a payroll or is just on a payroll without a contract. So there are some real kind of nuances in how things are being treated and therefore then what you then do. And we still don't have the answers about a lot of the director's side of things. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's lovely. That's really helpful because, as you say, I think that there's just so much, so much information out there without the without the detail that would normally support these types of things. And, and one of the things Rebecca was saying to Sam and I just before we started was that normally, you know, she's got 
hidden somewhere in her office, you know, a massive stack of documents about tax um, and, and how everything applies and the case law and all sorts of different things, which help to determine what, what you can and what you can't do. But of course, all of this is completely new. And, and Rebecca, you were saying that basically there's a paragraph and that there's nothing to, to say this is what it actually means and you can do this, you can't do that. So it's a really fluid situation at the moment is my take on it for, for both of you. Oh, absolutely. And it's constantly changing. And any advice, I mean, I'm finding that I give, there's almost a health warning just to say that this this could change. And there's government guidance being updated on a daily basis, which makes it even harder for people out there. And it's probably the same for Rebecca's clients as well, um, to know what they're doing is the right thing. Yeah. And, and, you, and you look at the guidance and then you come back and something's changed. They've changed a word. And a word can make a big difference in some of this. So they shift it around and there's no audit trail. Or you go onto Twitter and Martin Lewis has told everyone something, which he might have the information behind, but the rest of us haven't had it. We don't get any secret information. I mean, Sam, mate, I don't. I don't know any accountants that's getting secret information from the Treasury. Martin Lewis might. But he's wrong. So, so that brings me to another question is, who do I believe? So, you know, if I go on to social media or anywhere, there's all of these different views and, and, you know, people might actually say contradictory things. Um, how, how do I know who to believe at this point? Is there a, a right answer for anything? I don't think there is necessarily a right answer and who you believe. I think um, what I'm finding in, in certainly the HR world is that um, we've got a framework and we've got a loose framework. Um, we're trying to interpret that with the help of either, you know, employment solicitors and barristers, uh, other HR professionals to try and ensure that the advice we're giving is what would be reasonable. So if we come back to the fundamentals of employment law in any situation, whether it's in the COVID-19 or not, um, we have to remember that employment law in its current you know, situation still stands. We can't do things that we wouldn't have done normally. Um, so it's it's taking a reasoned and level-headed approach. And, and you know, we were talking about this before we came on air, but some of the things that Rebecca and I may do, we may differ in our, in our interpretation of some of it as well. So I think that, you know, from, a, from an external perspective and from a client's perspective, they need to make sure that they're going to trusted sources. So, you know, you go to your accountant, you go to your HR consultant, you look at the HMRC guidelines that are out there at the time, and you make a considered judgment on the basis of what you know at that particular point. Um, I don't know if it's the same for Rebecca, but Friday night is a really busy night at HMRC, and that's when they seem to release all the new guidance. So for the HR people that have just made it through the week, that are looking forward to that glass of wine, the next one comes out, and they've updated it, and they've changed it. Um, so I think, you know, in answer to your question, from my point of view, I think it's a, you, you draw your sources of information from trusted trusted sources and trusted partners, and you make a the best to sit your best decision on the basis of the information that you are aware of at that time. I think that's really sound advice, Sam, because there's, um, and I can see this in one of the comments, that there's a lot of assumed guidance out there and it can be very confusing. And if you don't listen to a voice and to somebody you trust, somebody that you know isn't, um, isn't just trying to whatever it is, you know, have a voice, but somebody who's from your best interest at heart and is doing their best to make sure that they are up to speed and, and keeping up with this as much as possible. Yeah. 
then at least you know that you're getting the best advice you can and accepting that, yeah, it might change tomorrow. Yeah. And that's a really important point is actually, um, I mean, the advice I've been giving my clients is very much I'm giving you the advice that I'm aware of as of today that could that could change. Um, and it is really difficult. It's slowed down a little bit now in the number of changes that are coming through. But, you know, it's probably one of the only times in, in my career in HR that you suddenly think, well, what I'm telling you today could be wrong tomorrow. <laughs> so we're all really conscious of that as well. I think what's been really good for me is I've been it's been a real opportunity and exciting to actually prove the value of having an accountant and that business advisor there rather than, oh, I took a few boxes, I submit that for you, probably could do some of that yourself. But actually, you can't do this yourself. You need that kind of that, because I'm plugging into that kind of hive mind the same way Sam is of the accountancy world who are then bashing out the corners of this legislation going, no, actually, we think that's the best way through at the moment. And if you go that way, you're risking fraud and opening yourself up to HMRC. So it's that's why you need an accountant now and I think that's a really valid point as well Rebecca because you know personally I had no interest in understanding the intricacies of any of this stuff I just want somebody like you who is telling me this is what the guidance is saying this is what you need to be doing and you know yes you can do this no you can't do this or hang on it's not clear whether you can do anything at the moment you'll need to wait till next Friday when the next release comes out um, so I think it really does as you say demonstrate the value of both yourself and Sam to clients um, as well as taking some of that pressure off to trying to figure it all out ourselves um, so I wanted to just go on but a question here um, and really it's about it's for you Sam and it is what is the coronavirus job retention scheme so, so what exactly is it that the government's been telling us we can do so it was launched um, so on 20th of March, it's when it was first announced. And the idea behind the job retention scheme was very much around about supporting employers and employees who would otherwise have been laid off or made redundant um, as part of the COVID-19 pandemic. And for a lot of businesses, um, that's very real, particularly those businesses that had to shut their doors, uh, restaurants, cafes, bars, health clubs, that type of thing, where business just went. Um, and what obviously the government is trying to do is to provide financial you know, grants to businesses in order for them to still continue to be able to pay their employees. Um, the scheme is open to all UK businesses, including charities, um, recruitment agencies, agency workers uh, across the board. So anybody can apply for it. And there's obviously an amount of money that um, an employer is able to claim for anybody that they would have looked to either lay off or made redundant. And it's almost as though they're putting people, it's the wrong word, into hibernation in a way. But actually, that person is not able to work for that employer. Um, they get paid up to 80%, well, 80 percent of their salary, which can be topped up if the employer wanted to. Um, and they get to sit at home um, and not work for that employer. Now, that has benefits in its own right for some and not, and not for others. But it is very much about preservation of jobs. That was the idea behind the scheme when it was launched. Um, and what is very clear from the guidance, though, um, which took a little while to come out, was that in order to qualify for the scheme, that person had to be on payroll on the 28th of February. So there are some people that have fallen through the gaps here, people that were looking to change jobs or people that maybe have resigned uh, or were made redundant prior to that. If they weren't on payroll on the 28th of February, they don't qualify for the scheme at all. Thanks, Sam. And then what about if the reason that as a business 
um, I was, you know, looking to make somebody redundant is that I don't have the cash flow to be able to pay them. How do I, this is maybe more for Rebecca, how do I, how do I put them on furlough, pay them 80% if I still don't have the cash flow? Well, that's slightly the fundamental flaw in the whole system, to be honest. Um, in theory, overdrafts, you're supposed to be talking to your banks. The banks are supposed to be being really friendly. And here's the cash. <laughs> it ain't happening. Um, we're waiting to see when the portal opens, what that will look like. And when you're going to get paid, I suspect we're going to have trouble again around the 30th of April trying to get people mm. paid. I know some businesses that haven't made March payroll and they've just said, when we get the cash, you will have it. They have no choice. Mm. And, and, and that is very true. I mean, the whole thing behind it is they said the portal will be ready at the end of April. I don't think, as Rebecca said, it will be. I think we're looking um, at least probably into May before payroll is made. Um, with regard to furlough, um, one thing I would say is that the scheme, so there, there isn't a legal term of furlough. It's a name that they've come up with, um, leave of absence, I believe it, it relates to. Um, and it's a, it's a change. It's a variation in somebody's terms and conditions. So it can't be unilaterally forced on an employee unless there is what's called a layoff or short time working clause within somebody's contract. So it has to be in the main agreed. So somebody has to agree to go into the scheme and they have to agree to the reduction in 80% of their salary. Um, and actually in these, these times, as Rebecca said, they, you know, a lot of companies don't have the money to cover payroll. So even if you offer that and somebody decides they don't want to take that option, regardless of whether the employer can pay it at the moment, there is still the issue that, well, what other options do you then have? If somebody turns around and says, well, I don't want to do that. So the other options that come into play is they go on to unpaid leave or you potentially make them redundant. And the employer has no money in order to make them redundant. So best of luck. I'll see you in court in a couple of years time, potentially. So there's lots and lots of issues for employers. And I've got clients who aren't sure that they can make the April payroll. And as Rebecca said, banks are not being quite as, you know, forthcoming in offering that support as probably the intention is there. No doubt they've, they're inundated with applications for various things. Um, but it's, it's a real concern for people because... They can't pay. So in that circumstance, what I'm advising clients is if you think you're in that position, you need to be communicating with your employees. You need to be telling them that that is a possibility because, you know, appreciate they are going to have bills. They're going to have commitments, but they need to know. They need to know where they stand. Even if at the last minute payroll comes through, they need to know if that's a distinct possibility. They're not going to get paid. But that that is there. And do we know, um, this one again might be back to Rebecca, in that situation, if your employer has said to you, I don't know if I can make payroll at the end of this month, um, is there anything in all of the, the support that's out there to help an employee get extensions on their, you know, their overdraft, whatever it else, to get them through, um, you know, to be able to pay the mortgage, to put the food on the table? Is there any support there? Well, I mean, it's it's going to be similar support. So it's going to be around looking at how at your personal spending would be one of the things that I would get people to do. I know, in fact, I've told some of my employers to do this is to offer people just a simple spreadsheet, go through your bank and work out what you need and just put it into columns. You know, what do I need now? What's kind of nice, but, you know, I don't really need it. So the Sky TV may be essential now. It might not be. And that's going to be different for different people. There's no judgment call on that. But it's working out what you need and what you don't need. And then what can I extend out? So it could be my mortgage. It can be my loans. Can I call them up and say, can, can I go on to a better deal? That might be one option. 
can I go and pay interest holidays? So you have to watch that because some of them are a bit different and the devil will be in the detail a little. But can, can I delay some of those payments out? Um, that holiday that we booked, do we still need it? Can I get my money back on it? So it might be those little things and it, it'll be changing your priorities about what, where you spend your money um, and getting as many refunds as you can. But equally, you've got to be fair to the businesses that you're buying from because they've got to keep going as well. So it might be that you do take some credit notes, but I'd be a bit careful about it. Thanks, Rebecca. Sam, I've got a question for you, which is um, for your opinion on working whilst on furlough leave. So if you have an investigation ongoing, that's a fairly specific question, but an employee is on furlough and you need a statement from them, do you think this should be allowed? Uh, very good question. Now, the terms of the furlough scheme is that obviously there isn't supposed to be any work undertaken while on furlough. Um, you could argue in that circumstance that they're not, it's not work. My gut would be, depending on the severity of the situation that you're investigating and the statement that you want, is could you pend it? If it's probably fairly low level, you might well take the view that actually we'll pen that till the end of the furlough period. If it's more serious and actually information needs to be recalled, I'd probably be inclined to say that it wouldn't be unreasonable to take the statement. Um, but does it fall within the terms of working? Possibly, possibly not. So I think I would look at the severity of the situation and actually, does it need to be done now? Could it be left? Could we pick it up when the person comes back to work? And possibly on a more serious matter, that might not be the case. Thanks. I would say very individual and they won't be alone. There'll be other, other companies in similar situations that things have happened. Um, in these types of circumstances. And actually, yeah, I think it's always quite a good idea to chat through each situation, actually. Just see what's working in, in that particular one. And can you furlough somebody for, say, for three weeks and then unfurlough them for three weeks? So can they be kind of on and off furlough? Or is it a once you're furloughed, you have to be off until whatever date it comes back or the support ends? So you have to be furloughed for a minimum of three weeks. Um, can't be any less than that, otherwise furlough doesn't apply. You can then bring somebody back to work for a day and refurlough them. So what some clients are doing uh, in order to be fair, so where they have had a diminished need of, of work, is they're what calling rotation. So the, the idea as well behind the job retention scheme is to keep people from going out. They're trying to stop people moving around. They're trying to stop people going out to work. So that's the other, the other thing behind all this. But what some employers who are working from home are doing um, is saying, well, actually, I've got 15 employees, I'm going to rotate them on a sort of a three-week basis so that everybody does furlough for three weeks. <clears throat> they might then work for three weeks and then they might be refurloughed. But the technical side behind doing that on the portal, I have no idea how that will work at the moment, um, but certainly minimum of three weeks each time you furlough, but you can furlough someone, take them off and refurlough them again as long as you hit the three-week mark. Sam's one of the things I'm seeing people doing is using the furlough period to do training. So that is allowed as far as I'm under yeah. I understand. Yeah. The, there is some a grey area around, but certainly um, this smaller businesses where, they, where someone has, say they're a director and they furlough, and then they go, well, I'm going to go and stack the shelves in Tesco's. Right. Okay. So there's been some more guidance that's come out around that. So if you were, so if we look at it from a, an employee's perspective about other work, um, a lot, of, a lot of employers will have in their contract that you can't work for somebody else anyway. And those terms still apply. Yeah. So if you are if you're working for an employer and they furlough you, 
that's fine. If you're working for two employers and they furlough you, that's fine. If you're working for two and one furloughs you, that's fine. The question was around about often for somebody else is that if I take another job that I didn't have prior to, and the guidance that came out on Friday said you can. So you can be furloughed from another job and you can take another job subject to the provisions of the terms of your contract. So if your contract of employment with one says you need to get um, permission to do so, that would still apply. So the answer to your question is, yes, you can do, but subject to the terms of that contract, yeah. still adhered to. So for a director, though, so for in a director's capacity, um, so if we're talking about directors of limited companies, they can be furloughed. They will only get 80% of their pay salary. So for many directors, that will only be the um, you know eight or £12,000 a year, whatever, going through their payroll. And they have to be on the payroll for that part. Um, but they could, and, and when it comes to doing no work, they are not able to do any work. So they are only able to do statutory requirements. So submit accounts, um, statutory duties. They're not able to continue to monitor emails. They shouldn't be taking calls. It's just the same principle for directors as it is for employees as well. But there isn't anything to stop them going off down to Tesco's or Waitrose or wherever and, and taking on a second job. Okay. Thank you. Um, and Sam, I think you mentioned before that it's 80% that the government's going to cover on salaries when people are furloughed. Yeah. Do have an obligation to actually top that up to 100%? No, they don't. That's up to the employer whether they choose to do so. There's no requirement to do that. Um, what we're doing with all of our clients is um, we're asking them, and it's a requirement now as part of the scheme, there needs to be documentary evidence which you hold for five years for somebody's agreement to the scheme, and you will state in your agreement of what you're doing. Most employers are doing the 80%, and but there is no requirement for them to top up to the 100%. They can choose to do so if they wish, but they don't have to. Thank you. And what about if you've got employees who are high risk or vulnerable? What are your responsibilities I guess both in, both in terms of payment and their, their overall you know, looking after them, what, what responsibilities do you have? Now, this is a really interesting one because there's more information that's come out on this and, it, and it's in a bit of a grey area. There's sort of two groups now that I can work out um, are around. We've got the, the high risk and vulnerable. And when we talk about the high risk and vulnerable, we're talking about people over 70, um, people maybe who are pregnant, they've got a medical condition, um, but they won't have been written to by the NHS. In those circumstances, they are able to self-isolate so they can take themselves off. And in that circumstance, they would be paid SSP to do so. Unless the situation came around whereby the job was furloughed anyway. But if they're on SSP, they have to come to the end of the SSP before they can be furloughed. With regard, <clears throat> there's a second group, which is called the extremely vulnerable group, where people with certain conditions will have been written to from, by the NHS informing them that, that you know they are strongly advised, and I can't remember without looking at the guidance, the exact categories, but strongly advised to self-isolate. In those circumstances, you are able to furlough those employees. Okay. So there's some nuances in all of these. There's, there's lots of little circumstances that come into play um, and some people in those groups don't necessarily want to be furloughed um, or don't want to be at work and in those circumstances what I would be advising employers to do is to do a risk assessment so if they are you know if they're working from home that's, that's fine to a certain extent in all of those circumstances if they're working from home that's fine 
Um, but if they're required to come into the office and they want to do it or into a production side, undertake a risk assessment to, to evaluate the risk that that person you know, brings to themselves and to others as well. Sam, so if yeah. you suggest that your staff work from home, yeah. what what do you have to provide them with? What do you have? Are there policies that they need to follow? Are there insurance things they need to consider? Because, you know, from a company, obviously, you can provide them with a mobile phone. You can look at providing them with chairs and stuff. And obviously, you know, you can deduct that from the business. Yeah. But, but, you know, from an employment law side of things, what do you have to provide them with? Well, this is a really interesting one from from an employment law perspective. Actually, it's it's not particularly, I would say, particularly clear from a health and safety point of view. When somebody works from home temporarily, you don't necessarily have to do um, a desk assessment either. So we all know when we work at home, some of us will sit on the sofa, some of us will sit on the floor, in bed or wherever. So our working positions won't be good. Um, But there is no requirement if on a temporary basis somebody is working from home. Now, arguably, we might say in our current situation, lots of people will be temporarily working from home. Um, And as such, there is no obligation from a health and safety side. What I would say, though, from a good employment perspective is employers should be doing what they can in order to try and ensure that the setup for somebody at home is conducive to help them work. And that might be really difficult. Let's be honest, we've got people that are working from home. Everybody's in the house. They've got young children. They're trying to find a space where they can to fit in and do what they can. So there's also a what is reasonable? What can we reasonably do in these circumstances? Um, With regard to equipment, that's really hard in current times because you can't go out and try your desk. You can't go out and do certain things. But if you know when you're in the office that, you know, you you have one of these different mouse, different mice or keyboards. Talk to your employer about if there's any particular equipment that would make life easier for you that they that they are able to provide. Um, much of working from home, I would say at the moment, and this has been, um, it's coming out more and more now. I think we've been trying to get the nuts and bolts of these schemes in place, first of all, trying to get people to stay at home. And the bit that we probably haven't really thought about is how we communicate with our guys when they are at home. How do we look after their mental health and well-being um, when people are being forced into a situation where many people come to work because actually they enjoy the interaction with people to, to get out of the house to do something different? Um, and what we're starting to work with clients on now is how we can keep that engagement. How can we keep the communication going? And what is really important is that you know people are being asked to undertake their jobs in a different environment. So are they clear on what's being asked of them? Are they clear of when communication will happen? Um, what's empl- what are employers doing in order to keep sort of communication and um, uh, group communication open as well? What are they doing to help in mental health and well-being? Um, there's lots and lots of websites out there that are offering help and support with regard to things like resilience training, um, mental health information, Um, Some clients have got access to things like um, private medical, which will have an employee assistance program who can provide help and support as well. So there's there's an awful lot that employers can do and there's an awful lot that they can think about. But one of the key things is keep in touch, keep in touch with people, reach out, do group calls, find out what people are up to, not watching what they're doing, but seeing how they are. How are they? How are they getting on? What can you as an employer do in order to help maintain you know, their, their current mental health and well-being and to make their life and doing their job easier. So I think more and more on this will now start to come out as we settle down a bit on the regulation and we do actually start to think about the bigger picture um, that actually for most of us, it's really tough being at home all the time. 
How do we make this work over the period of time that we are all in the situation we're in? And we've got some really good um, stuff that we've been giving to clients, ideas and um, sort of suggestions with regard to information that they can share, resources that they can share with people as well. That's great, Sam. And what about, you know, as you said, it can be really tough for you. And I know, you know, somebody who regularly works at home most of the time, I've been really surprised at how much I miss those bits where either I just went and worked somewhere else just for a change of scene or met up with other people to just have that interaction. So I can imagine that it's kind of both ways, the people who go to the office to escape um, their house and their family, and then there's the people who are at home and the children are there. Yep. And um, and suddenly this is a whole new pressure because the children are, of course, you know, they're at home as well. They're trying to be um, entertained or occupied or whatever. How do you, well, do you have any recommendation or guidance that is about, sorry, I think Rebecca's gone off for a cat or a child. Ideally, <laughs> 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 um, Sorry, how, the cat. I, I, I said it was a cat or a child. <laughs> um, how do you recommend that employers help people to deal with that situation? And the reality is that, you know, I'm on a Zoom call and there's every chance that there's going to be a child on that call, you know, with me. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's what it is. It is what it is. I mean, normal, normal day to day business, most of us that work from home, um, you know, you'll be trying to limit the disruptions and you'll still continue to try and do that. But, you know, my clients have got kids at home. They come on the calls. I think we all have to accept that we're in we're in different times and people are managing with what they've got. And there might be disruptions. There might be children around. There might be noise in the background. You might have your washing machine going, but it is what it is. So what we have to try and do is we have to be understanding. Um, that there's a lot, a lot most people can do. We're where we're at, in a, as I said, in a normal situation, we would try and mitigate those things, but we're not in normal times. So I think if people have got those challenges, we recognise it. And actually everybody else on that call has probably got exactly the same challenges. But I've had a lot of my clients, they come on, the kids come on the calls as well. So I've got to meet a lot of my clients' children. Um, and, and it's lovely. Uh, and we are in different times. And I think what this will also do beyond all this is it will start to put pressure on businesses to think about home working more about people working more flexibly um, and there's a lot of businesses that haven't necessarily embraced that for whatever reason um, but all of a sudden we find ourselves in a position where actually a lot of us can work from home now where in the past we might not have done so it is about embracing a new way of working I think when things settle down and some sort of whatever that normality might look like um yeah, ideally we'll go back to having nice quiet calls with people without children because they'll be back at school which would be wonderful um but actually you know what don't beat yourself up it is where you are where you're at and you have got the challenges that you've got and you do what you can to manage them so i think from an employer's perspective they have to understand that but it's a change of mentality as well because um yeah absolutely. it's going from that kind of time-based you have to be sat at your desk between nine to five and you do nothing because you could be surfing the internet, but you've ticked a box. Tick. Absolutely. My employee doing something is that presenteeism. Whereas actually we need to be looking at as I'm going to give you 10 tasks to do. I don't care how long it takes you, whether you, you do it all on Monday and you do nothing for the rest of the week. That needs doing by Friday. You choose how you do it. 
And so it's quite a different structure and, and you need different technology to fit into that and different mechanisms, but also you need trust, but you, you have to get the recruitment right in the first place. But that's a really interesting point. You, you do need trust. And it, and it is, for many employers, it is a very big shift from, I see you, I know what you're doing. I don't see you, I don't know what you're doing. And that's why actually in these environments is it is being for the employer to be really clear what the expectations is of that person while they're at home. What is it that they're, you know, it's no different from being in the office, but actually this is what I'm expecting you to do and what are you delivering? And it's opening up those channels of communication. I mean, some some clients are having, you know, uh, morning and afternoon calls with everybody. They're doing, you know, social calls, they're doing bingo, they're doing all sorts of teams. I've never used teams before, but we've got teams going on in a few of, of clients as well for keeping in contact, sharing that social side. So there's and technology, you're absolutely right, is fundamental for making all this happen anyway. So it is a shift in attitude, which will, I believe, continue beyond all this anyway. But are you seeing some employers where they've got employees where they've always shunned technology? Because let's face it, I, I work in accountancy. Let's face it, I know a few people that won't do digital. You know, how do you get people to catch up? Because they've gone from, I've got a paper file where I print my emails. And they do. Print the emails. <laughs> Lots of clients still do. They like email. <laughs> And now they can't have access to that file because, well, one, it's dangerous to go and get it. But two, it's not there. That's quite a shift overnight people have had to do. There's 20 years of innovation that's just happened in a week. I I mean, there must be, I don't know, are there training, is there training out there to get people on board? What do people do? Inevitably, there will be. I think that there has been, it's it's a big cultural shift for some people. And um, it's that movement now towards technology isn't isn't your enemy. It can be your friend. And I have a couple of clients who in the past have been quite resistant to homeworking. And what will be really interesting is what happens beyond. So once we're going back to some whatever that normality is, what will they then do beyond? But it's I think you're right. I think there will be some training that will come out. There's always been training around about how to manage remote workforces, how to engage, how to do all that type of thing. But this is a fundamental cultural shift. And will this be enough for some businesses to realize that actually People can be trusted with the right mechanisms in place. People can be trusted to do the jobs they're employed to do. But you do need mechanisms in place in order to still work with those people regardless. So I think it'll be an interesting one. I do. I mean, it's an interesting one because I've been working. Well, my husband's been working with Deborah, actually. Um, but they, but we've been working on videos to help clients who are possibly not still in business, but uh, who are maybe in their retirement years should we put it who don't aren't natural using zoom and stuff but actually they're finding themselves isolated and they're having to learn how to use the ipad properly rather than just you know candy crush occasionally so we're putting videos together to say actually we are here and you wouldn't expect the financial advisors to be doing that but that is what we are doing because we we know that it's benefits our business because we can then move those clients on to zoom once we come out of this and they'll be comfortable so seb isn't having to drive two three hours to see a client yes he will still but he doesn't have to each time and there's that option and therefore it brings efficiency into the business and it will challenge some people's thinking it will challenge whether i mean let's be honest a lot of clients have had to change very quickly they've had to go from you know working in the office where everybody's there to working at home almost overnight so they've had to put technology in place they've had to look at ways to to innovate and evolve and and to do things differently and and you're right and and i think in many ways what will come out of this is the ones that are able to evolve and do things differently will be the ones that will survive it the ones that don't will potentially struggle more 
I think it's a really good point about the um, the different approach and that trust in people. And as you said, Rebecca, not in you need to be at your desk nine to five. So I know some of my clients who are, you know, basically used to be nine to five and, you know, would be, okay, actually that's it. I'm not available from this point on, but now they're at home. And so it's actually, I'm not available between this period of time because actually I'm going to go and take the kids out. We're going to go for a daily bit of exercise or I'm going to do something else to break up the sitting in front of the screen all day. Because of course, now that you're at home, the odds are people who spent their days in meetings are now sitting in front of the computer screen all day in those virtual meetings. And, and while Zoom and everything is, is great, there is still a little bit extra effort and challenge required when you're speaking over a video call. You know, even just the little things like being able to interrupt to make sure that everybody asks a question where you might not, especially in a larger group, you might not see those signals that somebody wants to, you know, get involved. And when everybody starts speaking at the same time, it's, it's just all a little bit more complicated. So, so accepting that that, that scale of work now might not to go into an evening, but you've split up your day. It's, I think, going to be a real shock for, for some employers as well. Um, we had a question, but I think you probably just covered it, which is how do you think the world of work will change post-COVID? And we, we've been touching on that, but I didn't know if either of you had anything else that you wanted to say in addition to what we've already talked about of, of you know, people's perceptions changing going forward. I think we're going to see a lot more digital, but we're going to see a lot more respect and value given to face-to-face. -to -face. So we're going to give away that face-to-face -face at a higher premium price potentially, and then the, the, the more discounted offerings will be digital, I suspect. Um, I think we are going to see some businesses not survive, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are going to monitor their budgets a little bit better than maybe they have been because I think maybe it's been a bit too easy to make money in the past. So I think we will see people using things like Flow. We'll see more business planning, I suspect. And I don't mean 600 pages of waffle. I mean, actually, what's your core purpose? What are you going to do? And what are you going to do in the next three months kind of approach to things? I think we're going to see that. Um, I think some of the bigger practices are struggling and they are... Well, we'll see what happens. Sam, anything else you want to add in terms of the future of the world of work? Well, I think what we go out to will be really interesting when this comes to some sort of conclusion or we're able to move on and do something different. It will be it will be interesting with regard to work. I think it, it will very much push the buttons of remote work and flexible workforces um, coming more away from the traditional working model that we've been used to and that a lot of businesses you know, uh, have, have continued to operate in the way of. Um, I think technology will be, a, will be a big part of that and actually upskilling people in order to be able to do the things that they need to do. The realisation that's been there for many of the younger generation that are in the workforce that actually don't need to be in the office. You don't need to be sat at that desk nine to five and you can be just as productive. So new ways of working will be a crucial thing. One of the key things I personally think will come out of this is, is mental health and well-being. I think there'll be a lot of people, whether that's related to work or in general, that will suffer from the situation we find ourselves in. And I think as an employer, we have a responsibility to our employees to ensure or endeavour to ensure the health and well-being of our employees. Um, and I think this will be a whole you know, emergence anyway. We've seen the sort of mental health first aid coming on board more, more awareness around mental health. But I do think that 
that will be for a lot of people a big issue and actually how we handle that now will dictate how we handle it going forward thank you and, and another question here and i'm not sure it might be for both of you i'm not sure which of you is most likely to have an answer if you have an answer um do you know what constitutes directors legal responsibilities when furloughed are they permitted to action payroll for example <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so because well, I mean how can you run a business if you've still got staff that are not furloughed well, yeah but some directors will look to furlough themselves and not the employees but how does that work I don't, see, I don't see how you could do it I mean I wouldn't disagree I would have thought that if you have employees a director couldn't couldn't furlough if employees aren't furloughed they couldn't furlough themselves. So unless that question relates to running payroll for themselves, so if they're a director of a, a limited company, just one, does it mean running their own payroll? I don't know. But I think the the breadth of statutory duties is fairly limited. Um, so, but I suppose what constitutes, I suppose if you turn it around, why could somebody else run payroll? Does the, does the director need to be there to run the business? Somebody does. Somebody needs to have some direction on, direction on running the business. But does that need to be the director? I don't know. That's an interesting I one. mean, obviously, with, we're assuming there's only one director. There could be multiple directors, and then that becomes yeah. a different scenario. I would be very careful about furloughing directors, personally. I think if you're – I, I can think of one or two of my clients where it literally – disappeared as a motorbike or something has gone through where the work has literally disappeared they're a one-man band they're running the payroll fine they can be furloughed but where it, there is they, they literally can't do anything they could market the backside off of what they're doing but it wouldn't work for now so they can't do anything so they've got to go into hibernation so if your business is going to hibernation fine you can furlough and i think running a payroll for you is fine but i think if you're running payroll for other people and you're you're delivering so because if you've got staff and they're under furlough you've still got to look after them you've still got a duty of care so therefore you're still acting as a director that's not necessarily your statutory duty i mean i'm on the edge of knowledge here i think we all are. This, this is an opinion <laughs> i think you would struggle but that doesn't mean it won't be in the scheme when it comes through so i think it's you run the payroll as normal when the, pay, the scheme comes out you apply or you don't apply and go from there now one thing i'm seeing that's quite a difficult one is where i've got some clients that pretty much everything's disappeared but they get the old piece of job come through do they yeah. take that job or not and 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 because <laughs> they don't have a crystal ball they don't know what's going to happen for the next three weeks mm -hmm. there could be a series of these jobs come through and it could be fine but i don't know what the right answer is but it, we can only just model it out and chat it through and make a decision and i think there's a lot of power in just making a decision at the moment. I mean, what I would say, well, one of my clients is doing, he's a director of his company and he's going to furlough himself. So he's going to rotate. So he's got another senior manager who will run the company day to day while he's furloughed. Um, so in that sense, he could also run payroll. So I suppose it is, is it I'm not sure whether the director bit's relevant around, around that, but I do agree. If someone's got to run payroll, somebody needs to have the authority in order to run payroll and still needs to do that. Interesting one. This is where it goes to show there's no there's no answers out there at the moment. It's it's it is talking it through and trying to get to a point where you think, well, that seems reasonable. Yeah, that's and that was what they were trying to aim at. And that I think that's what someone like Martin Lewis is trying to do. He's trying to say that's what was meant 
but yeah. this is what it says. And the problem is with any bit of legislation, it will go through courts and it will go to tribunal and it will be picked apart and pulled apart. We haven't had that process. We haven't had that case law come through. Yeah. So we are making it up as we go along to a little bit. What's what's reasonable? What do we think we would do in normal circumstances? Yeah, And, yeah. and you make a call on that. Yeah. And do you think, you know, given the, the whole intent of all of these, you know, the business loans, the grants, the job retention scheme, all of this is about trying to keep, or one, to keep the economy moving in some way, shape, or form, and two, to help people to actually be able to, you know, to feed their families, to, to, to continue to survive. Do you think that the government is going to come back and be really harsh on it in the future. And I know this, you can't, you don't have a crystal ball, but just your impression. Do you think they're going to be practical when they go, yeah, actually that may not have been quite what we meant, but we can see that your intention was a good intention. You weren't trying to take advantage. So, you know, kind of a a slightly softer, friendlier HMRC than the the way that we may typically view them. I'm, of course, speaking on my own behalf. I think HMRC will inevitably audit. Um, so I think whatever decisions are made, what I'm advising clients to do is to make sure that they, they keep a record of the decisions they make and why they did what they did. So when that audit does come, will they be nice? I don't know. They'll be The scheme is there, as you say, to protect businesses and individuals um, in order to not see you know people laid off and or in hardship. What they don't want to see is people taking the mickey and taking advantage of the scheme to, to, you know, to their own benefit. So I don't doubt the audit will come. And I think if you've got, you know, documentation of why you did what you did, you can then have a reasoned discussion with them at that particular point. That would be my, my thought, Rebecca. <laughs> my feeling is it is always so much easier, to be honest, and just toe the line. Mm-hmm. And I can think of businesses and the certain trades, maybe that a little bit skate on the edge. And I don't deal with them and I won't deal with them. But if they start making claims and their profits are higher than they have been in the past, alarm bells will be going off on every computer in HMRC and they will be knocking on the door and they will be asking for VAT and they will be asking for tax and they will be looking. The one thing I would say is I think a lot of talk about NTD for income tax coming through. I think this will be an excuse to pull it through because how are they going to get the information in to make these claims? And it's going to be what that sort of portal through a software to get your records up to date, keep them clean, work out how to use your software properly so you can make these claims. Because if you're not up to date, how are you going to make that claim? Certainly on the self-employed side, you're going to really struggle. So mm. I would expect us to see an MTD style thing come through. And if your data is not consistent, because you've tried to fudge it and you've tried to be a bit clever, you're probably going to get caught because it's really easy to get it wrong. Be honest is basically what I'm saying. And that makes, that makes well, perfect sense, Rebecca. But, yeah, the people who are trying to fudge it, the people who are trying to take advantage, you know, just, just don't. This is meant to help all of us um, and not a, a free pot of money to, to try and take advantage of. Um, so... Do you think, so, so again, a lot of companies, especially smaller ones, you know, things have in some cases ground to a halt. They may or may not be able to actually, you know, furlough themselves or anything like that. Do you think that in addition to trying to find other ways to, to generate an income, 
that this is an ideal opportunity to say, okay, I am going to get all of my records up to date. I'm going to make sure that my taxes and everything are are clear and digitalized. No, absolutely. It's, it's an opportunity. And, and equally, it's your opportunity to look at your marketing or to look at whether your contracts for employment or your terms and conditions, uh, wills, just getting all your stuff, all your ducks in a row, all the things that you haven't got time for. But if you haven't got time now, you're never going to have time. So let's get them sorted. Know where you are, because there is a real comfort in just going through a checklist, a bit like the continuity plan that we've built and saying, this is how much we have. This is how much we don't have. This is how much we need. This is the kind of lifestyle we'd like. And how do we get there? Because once you know where you're aiming, it's a lot easier to kind of be motivated to do, make those difficult steps, you know, one at a time to get there. So I think, yeah, it's an opportunity to reevaluate things and, and also to collaborate because I think that's where we're going to see some of that lateral shifting between industries. So it might be that you take a HR business and you mix it with an IT company and you come up with, you know, a digital product from that. And it's taking those two skill sets and merging it and then coming up with something quite special at the end. And I think Rebecca's is right. I think around the bit of doing uh, a bit of an opportunity to do some some, some housekeeping, maybe in a way, it, it, now is a good time for those businesses that haven't got much else going on. Use the opportunity to make sure you've got everything in place that you need to have in place. And I think the, the really important part there, Rebecca, of you is innovating. What can businesses do differently? Because the likelihood is this, this okay this is I know Rebecca doesn't like this word unprecedented where we're at at the moment but do you know what it could happen again we could be next year back in a similar position um, so actually what are we as businesses doing in order to, to mitigate that what can we do to provide a different service operate in a different way look at a different market so I think that you know for all the time that maybe some of us have got there to sit um, and think and get our records right we also need to be looking at how we evolve as businesses and what we can do in order to respond moving forward. That's great, Sam and Rebecca. So that brings us to the, well, just about the end of our time. Thank you both so much for your input and insight. Um, Sam, I believe that if anybody would like to get in touch with you, they can just send you an email. Absolutely. Um, I haven't taken advantage of updating my tech, I'm afraid, but if anyone has got any, or you know anybody that's got any HR questions, very happy to um, give me a call um, or drop me an email. Email is sam at goldhr.co.uk um, or the website actually is www.goldhr.co.uk. It's a little bit out of date, so don't look at that, but the contact details are there. But and I will send out an email with, with all of your details so everybody who's attended will get that. Um, and Rebecca, I know you were just speaking about your business continuity plan and um, you're running a webinar on that, I think, on, actually, I'll let you say when it is rather than me guessing. Um, 17th of April, so it's Friday, so two weeks Friday. Um, I'm running that with my partner in crime, which is Seb, so you'll get the angle from a financial advisor as well. It's just, it's essentially a guide and a checklist and you just go through it in a really structured way. And it, and it takes that panic out of, ah, what do I do now? And it's just about assessing where you are and where you want to go. And, and I mean, more the merrier, sign up and come along and, or just contact us and maybe we could go through talking about goals for your business and seeing how, maybe how either the IFA or the side can help. 
But it's great, thank you very much. And there's a link for Rebecca's on the screen at the moment, but again, you'll get that in an email. Um, obviously, I'm more than happy to talk to any of you about, you know, podcasting. Um, if that's something that you are interested in, an ideal opportunity to make the most of the time you might have available. Um, or if you're looking for anything around, you know, just support, as Rebecca mentioned, on Zoom, helping people to get onto that. And we look forward to seeing you at another webinar soon. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. Please remember that any advice that was specific to the job retention scheme or any other government um, funding or support that was in place in 2020 during the coronavirus pandemic may no longer be valid. It was valid at the time of recording. Looking forward to seeing you and hearing from you hopefully next week. You've been listening to Deborah Levitt on Bridging Gaps, the business podcast.